Well, I don't know how much you follow the news, but if you do, you know that there's a terrible uh, expanding tragedy that's taking place right now in California, you, uh, if you've been paying attention to it. North of uh, San Francisco, uh, firefighters are battling the state's largest ever fire, uh, wildfire. Think about that. You know, every year, we, it's part of the regular news cycle, you know, all the wildfires in California. Right now, what's going on is the largest ever wildfire in the state of California, at least th that they have record of. They don't expect to have it fully under control until sometime late in September, and that's an optimistic statement on their part. In just 14 days, uh, the blaze has exceeded, it's gr grown from its inception to exceed the size of the city of Los Angeles. Have any of you ever been to Los Angeles? You talk about a sprawling city that just goes everywhere. It's massive, it's a massive city. More than 470 square miles uh, uh, is burning north of uh, San Francisco, and that's one of the fires in the state. What's particularly troubling about this is that according to the experts, California's historically worst months for wildfires haven't even begun yet. We have that to look forward to. Um, it would be an understatement to say that these kinds of events uh, are sad, they're destructive, they're grievous to you, me. We hate the loss of homes, we hate the loss of livelihoods, we hate the loss of lives. And often when these kinds of events occur like this, and you have this kind of uh, debris left behind, I get asked the question, whether it's this or a hurricane or whether it's a tsunami or something else, I'm asked the question, could God be punishing or judging someone through this event? Maybe a whole community or a state or a city. In this message, what we're going to do is let Jesus answer that question some. And I just want to say right up front, he doesn't say everything about this kind of question in this text we're going to look at this morning. But he addresses a lot. And as he addresses these things through his teachings in Scripture, I think that if you and I pay close attention, it will help us to better understand God's approach, God's perspective on the whole subject of judgment. It will help us to maybe understand what's his what comes from someplace else? And it's important for us to have that clear in our heads because as these kinds of events happen, it's easy to get that all fuzzy in our heads. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, open it to Luke chapter 13, or if you have it on your phone or a tablet or something, uh, open it to Luke chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one on the shelf in the chair in front of you. And I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, take one of these with you. You're welcome to do that. We encourage you to do that. We've got others that we'll put right in the place where that one was. So, uh, so take that. In these verses that we're going to read this morning, Luke chapter 13, verse 1, is where we're going to start. Jesus unveils some important insights about suffering, about judgment that we're going to look at. And I hope you'll listen real close and... Uh, We'll gain some fresh perspective from Jesus on all of this, all right? Luke chapter 13. You there? Verse 1 is where we're going to start. This is what the scriptures say. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate... Now, let's pause. You remember Pilate? Pilate was uh, the commander, the head, head of Rome, the uh, Pontius Pilate, the prefect from Rome who was in charge of uh, the province of Judea at the time when Jesus was crucified. So it says, About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate 
had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Jesus began speaking. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. You will punish or perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people, Jesus says, who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? He answers his own question. He says, no. And I tell you again, I tell you again, that unless you repent, you will perish too. Now, let's just stop right there in, in the text. Jesus is unveiling here a couple of important insights about suffering and judgment in these verses. And let me just highlight them for you real quickly before we read on, because it's important that we get the full context, the full perspective of what he's saying here. The partial, first partial insight that he gives us is about why suffering occurs. It's, a, it's at least a partial insight of that. He doesn't tell us everything, but he gives us a portion of understanding. He talks about two current events that were in the news, you might say, at this time in his ministry. Okay, talks about Pilate's massacre, right? And he talks about the collapse of the Tower of Siloam. They were widely discussed during that cultural time. These were bad things. And Jesus asked the all-important question. He does it repeatedly. Verse 2, verse 4. Do you think those Galileans, do you think those people who suffered under the Tower of Siloam following, were they the worst sinners in all of Galilee or on Jerusalem? Is that why they suffered? And what was Jesus' answer? No. It wasn't. It wasn't. Here's why this is important. Sometimes we're tempted to conclude that all the suffering in our lives, the, the fires in California, the tsunamis that occur along a coastline, the hurricanes and various other tragedies or uh, cataclysmic events, Yellowstone blowing someday, all kind, we could pick all kinds of things. All this kind of stuff. We're tempted to conclude that these things or, or the individual suffering in my life is a judgment from God. You got to understand that that's not accurate thinking from God's perspective. It's not. It's not because we're worse, somebody else is worse. That's not what's going on in these events. You are not worse, more sinful than others. And God isn't just watching and waiting to bring suffering into your life. That's not the nature of God. Then Jesus unveil, uh, unveils a concise insight about judgment in these verses as well. And in just a, a very brief sentence, this is what he was trying to communicate to them, what he's trying to communicate to us. This is the, the insight about judgment. Judgment, we think, is reserved for those who are really, really bad sinners. Jesus wants us to understand from here, no, judgment is not reserved for only the worst sinners. Hitler, terrorists, axe murderers, etc. It's not, it's not just reserved for them. Guess what? It's reserved for all sinners. Unless they repent. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, on the one hand, it's comforting. Oh, all those bad things come into my life. The, that's not God coming after me. The bad news is... That doesn't mean he's not coming after me someday if I don't repent. 
if I don't get my life right. You, you see what he's saying here? He answers in a totally contrary way to what we would typically think. But he wants us to understand that judgment is reserved for all sinners unless you and I repent. And then to help his listeners then and his listeners now further understand his perspective on all this, Jesus tells a parable. And it's a famous parable. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you not, haven't. But it's been around a long time. And a lot of people have spent a lot of time reflecting on this. It's the parable of the barren fig tree. And this is how it goes. Look at verse 6. Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years. There hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taken up space in the garden, Jesus says. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll, I'll give it special attention, plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. And if not, then you can cut it down. You understand what Jesus is really saying here. Do you, do you follow what his point is as it pertains to what he was talking about in the first five verses? See, he's revealing spiritual truths here about suffering and judgment. He wants us to grasp this. And he tells this parable, which if you remember, it's, a, it's sort of a story that has encoded within it meaning, right? That's what a parable is. So let me just give you the code. Let me just unlock the elements if you haven't already picked them up. The man planting the tree in the parable Verse 6, Jesus says, A man planted a fig tree in his garden. Who's the man? It's the Father. The Father, Heavenly Father, is the man who planted the tree. And the fig tree was Israel the nation and the individuals of his day and the individuals of our day. This is the fig tree that's been planted. Verse 6. The garden is the world, and the gardener, think about this, the gardener who's appealing to the father, to the man, to delay cutting down the tree. You know who that is? It's the Messiah, Jesus. And the fruit that the man is looking for is godliness, repentance, obedience, now, with that in mind, let's read these verses one more time, okay? Think about the man, the fig tree, Israel, you and me. The garden is the world. The gardener is Jesus, okay? Just think about this. And the fruit they're looking for is repentance. Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. He just wasn't seeing fruit. Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just, it's just taken up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Let me just highlight for you a few observations from today's parable, this parable about suffering, justice, 
or, uh, judgment in light of what we've been talking about here. The first, first observation you can make from what, what Jesus is describing to us here is that the Father is looking for, He's waiting for, He's eagerly anticipating the fruit of repentance. He didn't plant people in the world just for his own health, necessarily. He's looking for repentance, obedience. He's looking for relationship. He's, he's looking for these kinds of things from you, from me, from everybody on the world in which we live. And, and he's patient. He's patient beyond what we comprehend. He's waited years for this. The text actually describes how this gardener here, or this, this man, has waited three years for this, for this fig tree to actually get rooted and bear fruit. Gardeners would tell us that the best of fig trees, good fig trees usually take about three years to produce fruit. And so the fathers waited the prescribed period of time for this fruit and it still has not happened. In fact, he's not gotten any crop. He's not, he hasn't even gotten a single fig. Just like everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of his expectations. And he's come to the place where he's tired of waiting. And so he tells his gardener, cut it down. Scrap the world. Just, let's just do a start over. What's interesting here is that this tells us another observation about the father. Our inclination is that we think God sometimes, you think about our world and how we view God. Some of us view God as like He's, he's this um, person in the heavens who's just, it's almost like He's waiting with a shotgun. You know, like when you, you ever been pheasant hunting and you're carrying your shotgun and a bird moves? It's like God's that kind of person, how we think of Him. He's, he's just, He's locked and loaded all the time, just waiting for movement. And if you and I move in certain ways that are in a, consistent with what His will is, He's, he's ready to fire. That's, that's how we think of God. Some of us have had parents like that and people in our lives, employers. And so it's kind of like we've just associated God with that. Well, you have to understand that's not God. He's, he's been waiting. He's been waiting. He waits. And you'll see more of this as we get through this. But that's not His nature. Others of us perceive God as this passive, gentle, grandfatherly, shall we say, dawdling old man who's just all but unaware of what's going on in the world. We, he's like preoccupied with other things. He started it all, but he's, he's busy. He's certainly too busy for me and the things going on in my life. So he, there's no, no point in me praying to him. There's no point in us praying to him because that's just, you're talking to the ceiling tiles and they need to be replaced. This is, what, this is how we think, some of us. What you have to understand, that's not an accurate perception of God either. God is actually neither of those extremes. That He is, in truth, somewhere in the middle in the sense that he is fully aware that everything that's going on, He's started all of this. He has given us a measure of free will. But here's the observation that you see here. Indefinite fruitlessness is unacceptable to God. He will not tolerate open rebellion, resistance, refusal to walk in His ways indefinitely. He will not do this. He is looking for the fruit of repentance is what He's looking for. 
And because of that, judgment is going to come for all who don't bear fruit is what the scriptures want us to understand here. There's a fourth observation we can make here. Not just that God's looking for fruit, not just that he's patient, not just that he's unwilling to allow indefinite fruitlessness, but we also, I want you to notice the gardener. Jesus is interceding before the Father on our behalf. He's pleading for more time. He's pleading that the Father might, might give us special attention. He's, he wants, think of the fertilizer. He uses that analogy of fertilizer. He wants to, he, we have a garden at home and we've got some plants that we came home from Colorado here a few weeks ago and they were, uh, it just looked all but dead, all but dead. Lori took miracle grow and water, poured it all over the uh, flowers and left it alone for about a week. And in about a week, they looked alive and vibrant and they were doing well. I mean, she was giving it another opportunity, but she was feeding it was really what she was doing. And, and this is the picture of the gardener here is that he's, he's giving opportunity. He's doing things to stimulate growth in the life of this tree, this fig tree in us. His plea to the Father was, postpone your judgment, delay the day when you cut it off. And if you notice, the Father, the owner of the field, agrees. He agrees. In which case, that reveals to us a fifth observation, which is God's purpose and preference as it relates to all of us, all of mankind, whether it be nations, whether it be individuals. He really, his heart of heart, heart of hearts is that we will bear fruit, that we'll repent. He delays judgment in hopes that we'll avoid it by choosing of our own free will to get our lives right with Him. He's agreed to delay a little longer, is the picture. And there's an implied question of Jesus in the text for His listeners then and for listeners now. And the question really is this. Well, you recognize that the Father is delaying judgment in hopes that you will repent? Will you turn to Him? Will you embrace the understanding that judgment is not reserved for only the worst sinners, but it's reserved for all sinners unless we repent? Will you recognize that God's judgment, in truth, hasn't even begun yet. The stuff that goes wrong in our world, it's a, it's a consequence of living in a, in a fallen world, a dying world. It's like where everything's winding down until such time as Jesus renews it all. Will, will you recognize that and understand that that's, that's not God's judgment? When God's judgment comes, we'll know. It'll be clear and it'll come for everyone who hasn't repented is what Jesus is saying. So will you prepare your heart? He's, he's gently appealing to the people then and now for that. 
So my question for you this morning, is there any habits in your life, any choices that you've been making that your heavenly Father has been waiting for you to change? And instead of presuming on his judgment, will you embrace his, his grace, his grace, and turn toward him? That's his great longing. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to transform us from head to toe, from our heart and soul to you know, just our mind, our will, our actions, our resources. He wants everything about us to be different. And it begins with just humbling ourselves. The Father is looking for that kind of fruit, the fruit of repentance. Maybe you need to turn to Jesus this morning. And if you do, will you do that? And the hope is as well that next time, you know, you hear the news about a California tragedy, you know, the, the wildfires keep burning or uh, it expands and incre you know, behaves in some different way or maybe there are tornadoes, maybe there are floods or various things of this sort. My hope is that you'll understand it. Just keep it, file it away in the back of your mind that, this is bad. Sometimes these things do happen because we turn away from God. And what do we do when we turn away from God? We create space in our lives for the evil one to draw near. Who is it that desires your destruction? Who is it that desires your defeat, your demise? It's not God. He doesn't want to bring suffering into your life. That was not his plan from the beginning. His plan was paradise. We lost it. We messed it up. Adam and Eve. Maybe instead of accusing God of the things that he didn't do, like the insurance company does, acts of God, we should recognize them for what they are, acts of evil. And there's a good God that we can turn to in the midst of that. I want to invite you to stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Um, I was just thinking, you know, Probably there may be those who are tempted to hear about a, a church van that overturns and a couple of, you know, three students, young people are killed and think, how could God let that happen? Well, the truth is God could, God could stop anything he chose to do because he's God. But if God intervened in that instance, how many other instances has he got to intervene in? Because he's just and he's righteous and he's given us free will and we live in a dying world, a broken world. It doesn't mean that God's bad. This means that God is not at our beck and call. And we need to just be humble and we need to support and pray for each other, encourage each other, walk with each other through these things and recognize that the day is coming when he will make all of these things right. The day may not be that day, but that day is coming. In the meantime, we need to lean into him lean into each other and pray for those and help those that we can. So let's bow our heads. We'll pray. And uh, if you need to, I was just thinking about this. I thought, you know, one of the fruits of repentance is confession. And so as I pray for a few moments, I'm going to pray a little bit, give you a few seconds of silence. If there's anything you need to confess to the Father this morning, I'll give you a chance to do that. He's looking for the fruit of repentance. 
And maybe you could do that this morning and I'll continue and finish our prayer, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you care. Thank you that you have delayed um, you know, the punishment and judgment of our world as well as the nation of Israel, as well as our lives. Obviously, you've allowed suffering and hardships to occur, but they're not expressions of your judgment. They end up being expressions of the fallen world in which we live and sometimes the consequences of our choices. We just open the door to evil when we choose evil and evil one is ready to step in when we do that, whether that's as individuals or nations. We just want to acknowledge that we've all done that at times because we're not, none of us is without sin. We're probably not the worst sinners, but we're sinners. And so this morning, we just want to come before you and we want to, at least in this moment, give you a fig or two. You know, there's probably some things that every one of us in our lives have to confess. You're looking for the fruit of repentance and humility and obedience. We want to give you that, Father. So, Father, in these next moments of silence, you just listen to the prayers, the, the confessions of any of us here. From our spirit silently to you, would you meet us in our confession and cleanse us of that which is broken in us? Hear us as we confess these things, Father. Father, we just ask that you would not only cleanse us, but that you would fertilize the souls, our souls and our spirits, our lives. That you would strengthen us, help us to walk in your ways. We want to honor you in this present life and throughout eternity. Thank you that your judgment hasn't even begun yet. And we thank you that you've given us opportunity to prepare for that day by making peace with you right now. Help us to do that. May your spirit rest on each of us and fill us and draw us toward you. We'll give you credit for the good that happens. Go with us now as we prayed earlier, Father. Be with the Faith Chapel folks and be with us as we endeavor to honor you with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.